You may be seated, and as you're being seated, I invite you to find a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find this text on page 72 in the New Testament. We are continuing in our sermon series that we have entitled Everyday People, Everyday Heroes, and our everyday heroes that we'll be looking at this morning are two women named Martha and Mary. So Luke chapter 10, I'll begin reading at verse 38. Now as they, and of course the they here is Jesus and his disciples, now as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to come help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we are surrounded by so many distractions in this world. So many good things that keep us away from the greater things that you're calling us to. God, we are surrounded by so many distractions. We pray for your help. We pray for your grace to help us to focus, to help us to set those priorities that we need to set in life so that we can live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in this world. Lord, there's so much noise around us. There's so much noise in our world clamoring for our attention. And sometimes there's even so much noise in our hearts and in our minds. We pray that you'll quieten the noise and cause the distractions to cease as we sit for a few moments at the feet of Jesus. Help us to listen. Help us to hear what he's saying to each one of us individually and to hear what he's saying to us as a congregation. We commit this time to you and we offer our lives back to you. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We all treasure those people, perhaps those few people in our lives with whom we really can relax and just simply be. We treasure those people that allow us that space to just relax and simply be. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to prove anything. When we're around them, life just feels differently. We treasure those people. And if we have one, two, three people like that in life, one or two other families like that in life, we are very blessed. For our Lord Jesus 
One of those families was Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. We know that from the Gospels. We know that Jesus would go there to relax. Jesus would go there, and they were his friends. We know from the Gospel that they lived in Bethany. And that's why every time Jesus, including the text before us this morning, went to Jerusalem, went to the holy city of Jerusalem, he never stayed in the city of Jerusalem. I don't think he could have afforded to have stayed in the city of Jerusalem. So every day in which he was in the holy city of Jerusalem, he would leave in the evening, go out the city gate, go down through the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, go across the crest, and be in Bethany, that little village very close to Jerusalem. He would go to Bethany. That's where he went to, to find lodging. That's where he went to relax among his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. We can tell from the Gospels that they were a family of means. Their home had to be fairly large. Here Jesus shows up with his entourage, 12 men, perhaps others. They show up and they know they can go there and they can find lodging. So they were people of means. And if you look at the text closely, some of us think that the text actually implies in verse 38 that this home, this house, actually belonged to Martha. It is referred to as her home. It is possessive there. But this was the place where Jesus could go and relax and just be. Our text is before us this morning because Luke wants us to be able to compare and contrast Martha and Mary. They have two different reactions to Jesus showing up there in their home. Let's look at Martha first. Martha, and we know this story well, most of us, Martha was the one who busied herself to make the arrangements to care for these people that had just shown up. We know, even today, we know how, how important hospitality is in the Middle East. My wife Tammy and I have had two wonderful opportunities to just visit in homes, families in the Middle East, both times in Bethlehem, and experience their hospitality. And both times, they were people with very little means but their hospitality, the meals they served us, really was over the top. Their graciousness, their hospitality, they understand it is a spiritual virtue. It's that way today in the, the Middle East. We see it happening here. So as soon as the guests arrive, and I suspect they were, they were, they were not planned for. I mean, they couldn't have called ahead. They couldn't have emailed ahead. They just showed up. So here when the guest arrived, Martha did what most of us would do, start preparing to be hospitable to the guest. And of course in this text, here someone shows up with 12 others, at least 12 others. So Martha has, has a job before, she feels the burden of feeding those people a meal and helping them lodge for tonight. So she gets busy doing. 
We usually look at this and we think Martha, at least here in this text, appears as someone who's very task-oriented. She appears as someone who's very task-oriented and someone who can get things done, and she starts working. In the Christian tradition, we refer to this type of spirituality as an act of spirituality. For some people in the Christian community, their spirituality is just by nature an act of spirituality. They show love to Jesus Christ by doing. By doing. By doing the ministry in the community. By doing the ministry in the church. And that's so important. As a pastor, I love all the Marthas in our midst. We're so grateful for the Marthas in our midst. We love those Marthas who can get things done. And that's the type of person we see here in Martha, this active style of spirituality. And make sure you notice what occurs right before this text in the Gospel of Luke. It was the text we looked at last week, the Good Samaritan. So I believe what you're to see in this text is not just a contrast between Martha and Mary, but to see a contrast between this text and the Good Samaritan. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan that we looked at last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan is definitely uh, an encouraging word from Jesus to make sure we know how to live an act of spirituality. The parable of the Good Samaritan is told by Jesus so that we will go and do. And for many of us, it almost comes natural for us to be able to go and do. It became natural for Martha. She could go and do, and as soon as Jesus and the entourage showed up, she set about the task ahead of her. And we appreciate the Marthas in our midst. She responded to Jesus in her midst by doing, by serving. And we're so grateful for the Marthas. But then we look at Mary. Here's Mary, Martha's sister just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus in the posture of a student, pupil, or disciple. And we Christians like to point out that this may be the first example we have anywhere of a rabbi with a female disciple. So here's Mary choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus. She is just simply sitting and being. She's sitting and listening. She's listening to every word that drops from Jesus' lips. We call this the contemplative style of spirituality. And just like some people by nature are people of an active style of spirituality, some people by nature are more prone to a contemplative style of spirituality. They can sit and be quiet and meditate and speak to God and more importantly listen to God. So there's that contemplative form of spirituality. We need to all know how to do that. We, we see Mary here doing it. Even though there's a great deal of work to be done and Martha sure knows about that work. Mary is just taking this opportunity with Jesus there in their home to sit and to listen. One of my favorite texts from the Old Testament comes right in the middle, almost the middle, of Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is a tremendous psalm. 
But the thing that I always notice when I look at Psalm 46 is the whole psalm is the psalmist speaking to us about confidence in God. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of Psalm 46, there at verse 10, God speaks. It's almost as if God shows up to have his say. And you know what it is God speaks there at verse 10 in the midst of Psalm 46. Even if you are not recalling at the moment, you know what he said. It was there in the middle of that psalm as the psalmist was speaking that God speaks and says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. That's contemplative spirituality. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. Just simply be still. Just simply be. We're usually so much more prone to do than to be, than to sit at the feet of Jesus. And of course here in this text, and I think it's because it's coming on the heels of the parable of the Good Samaritan, Mary is the one being extolled here, not Martha. I've spent most of my ministry trying to defend Martha, because I understand Martha. But here in this text, it's pretty clear that, that Mary and Mary's style of receiving Jesus, responding to Jesus, being extolled here in the text. And that's why Martha gets frustrated. Martha gets frustrated with Jesus. Sometimes we get frustrated with Jesus. She's frustrated with Jesus because she's really frustrated with her sister Mary who won't come and help. And there's a huge task in front of them. These 13 men need to eat. There's a huge task in front of them. Jesus, don't you care that she won't help me? Make her come and help me. And that's when Jesus, with I think great tenderness, said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. The word worried, by the way, literally means in the Greek, pulled in different directions. You are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Mary is the one extolled here in this text. Martha is doing doing some very good things, but she's not doing the best thing at this moment. It's Mary who has chosen the best thing at this moment. She has chosen the more important thing at this moment. She's letting some of the urgent things go so that she can choose the more important thing. And she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And Jesus makes it clear that Mary is doing that which is best, and Martha is doing that which is the result of distraction. You know, if, if Martha in her world had to deal with distractions, how much more do we have to deal with distractions in our world? We're constantly bombarded. Some of you know that in my earliest days uh, on my educational route, I was trained by Roman Catholics. 
at a college that had a monastery, and I became close friends with a lot of those monks. They had a lot to do with my call into the ministry. I still make my way back to the monastery uh, to find some silence, to find some quietness. And those monks have taught me for the last 40 years, they've taught me a lot about the spiritual life. And they've taught me that one of the greatest hindrances to the spiritual life is distraction. And if you know anything about Benedictine monks, Benedictine monks as opposed to... Um, uh, let's say Franciscans or Dominicans or anyone else. Benedictine monks, they have their own unique habit. Their clothing is black. But you'll notice that all their habits have a hood on the back. Now, I, I rarely see them use the hood. Occasionally, some of them will use the hood for its designed purpose. Occasionally, some of them in prayer, in the basilica or the chapel, will pull that hood up. You know the purpose of the hood is to block out distractions while they pray, to help them focus on listening for the voice of God. Distraction is one of the greatest dangers to the spiritual life. We have to learn how to focus in the midst of distractions. Most of us are not, are not distracted by bad things. We're distracted by good things. And sometimes our, our yearning for so many good things prevents us from getting the better things that Jesus Christ is offering us. So Mary is the one being extolled here in this story because she knows there's really no hurry. God never gets in a hurry. There's no hurry. And she is choosing that which is best. Jesus is right there in their midst. And Martha's busy doing something else. I'm so grateful that early, early, very early in my ministry, when I was a, when I was a seminary intern at Tammy, my wife's home church, we had a great, great preacher come and preach revival. Wallace Chapel, great, great preacher. Some of you may remember Wallace Chapel. He had First Church Charlotte. He had a major church in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Great, great preacher, great, great human being. He went to be with the Lord around the year 2004. Some of you may know Wallace Chapel. Some of you may remember his uncle's name. His uncle was Clovis Chapel, who was a very, very famous Methodist preacher. Um, back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, he was at First Church Charlotte also. And I remember being a seminary intern in my wife's home church, and, and I don't really remember much of what Wallace Chapel preached that week, but I'll never forget that he pulled me aside, and I was a very young seminary intern serving in that church. He pulled me aside, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, I, 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 he called me son, son, don't ever forget that working for Jesus is not a substitute for spending time with Jesus. Even in the life of the church, we can get busy with distractions and we forget to spend time with Jesus. We've somehow got to learn how to do both the Martha and the Mary style of spirituality. We're all different people. And I suspect each one of us here in this place, as I've been talking, you have already called to your own mind whether or not you are by nature a Martha or by nature a Mary. And um, by nature, we usually are more one than the other. But you know, part of what the work of Jesus Christ is all about is to get us over 
our nature. Yeah, it may be our nature, it may be the way we're prone to, but if we are a Martha, we better learn to be more of a Mary. If we're a Mary, we need to learn how to be more of a Martha. We need to make a full and complete offering of our lives and be the people Jesus Christ is calling us. We can't just say, well, by nature, I'm a doer. By nature, I'm a Martha. So I can't do that quiet prayer thing. You know, in the Christian faith, we, we are not bound to our nature. Just because we were born a certain way, just because we have a hard time choosing another way, doesn't mean we have, are in bondage to our nature. And the whole glory of the gospel is that Jesus Christ at work in us will help us get over our nature will help us do something differently, will help us grow until we become more like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was perfectly like Martha and perfectly like Mary. And we're called to nurture both sides. We need to be aware of the excuses that keep us from spiritual growth. And frequently those excuses do sound like something, well, this is just who I am. This is the way I am wired. This is the way I'm made. And then there comes the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of grace where Jesus says, let me help you get over it. Let me help you grow. Don't yield to how you are and who you are by nature. Being born a certain way doesn't lead to any certain conclusion for the Christian. We are learning, learning how to get over the way we're born. You know, when I have the privilege of doing premarital counseling, and that's a great, great gift. I really enjoy doing premarital counseling. And I, and I spend time with couples as they, as they, what they want to work on is the wedding. I want to work on the marriage. And as we spend time together, one of the things that we talk about frequently is um, personality types. And you, if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody else, you need to make sure you understand their personality type. Now, also what I say to these couples that are thinking about putting a marriage together is not only do you have to understand the other person's personality type, you have to move beyond that. You have to move beyond, under, and some people don't even get to the understanding the other person's per, personality type stage, but you've got to move beyond understanding the other person's personality type and try to get to that place where you value and celebrate that other person's personality type. That's hard. Most of the time, that's hard. One of the things that we clergy have to do frequently is uh, we, just get, we just get tested to death. And I've been through so many programs over the last 40 years uh, studying my personality. And the point of all that is so that I'll know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are. Several years ago, I had a great, great opportunity to be part of the, the Reynolds Leadership Program here through our annual conference. It is an amazing, amazing program. And the only reason we can do it is because of the generosity of Royce Reynolds from Greensboro. It's 10 days of our lives given over a period of time where we learn something about leadership is done by Duke Daventi School and the Center for Creative Leadership. If you've never heard about the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro and other places, including around the world, they, they've trained people such as Norman Schwarzkopf. 
They're a great, great place to learn leadership. But almost all of that program for all of us clergy that were selected to go through it was a study of our personality types. Because the, basics, the basis of the program was any personality type can be used by God. Any personality type can be a leader. A lot of us think to be a leader, you've got to be extroverted and charismatic and loud. Not really. Every personality type can be a strong leader. So those of us who are, at least inhabit my calling, we've been tested to death. That's why I know, and I don't ever forget, and it usually comes back to bite me on a daily basis. I know that according to Myers-Briggs, and you don't need to worry about these initials, but according to Myers-Briggs, I'm an ISTJ. Now, if you were to go Google the personality traits of an ISTJ, it would say something like, um, ISTJs tend to be reserved, practical, quiet. Yeah, I can make a lot of noise behind a pulpit, but you take me to a dinner party, that's, that's tough for me. ISTJs tend to be reserved, practical, quiet. They tend to be driven. They enjoy order and organization in all areas of their lives, including their home, work, family, projects. ISTJs value loyalty in themselves and in others, and ISTJs place an emphasis on traditions. Well, so that's an ISTJ, and I've spent most of my life trying to learn the downsides of being an ISTJ, because there's a lot of them. You know, I just kind of read you the characteristics of an ISTJ. Well, if you know me well, you also know an ISTJ can become rather stubborn. An ISTJ can become rather resistant to change. So we have to learn who we are. We have to learn our strengths so that we play to our strengths. We have to learn our weaknesses and then figure out ways to compensate for our weaknesses. And then we have to be open to growth. God has such a wonderful sense of humor. God has given me the best pastor's wife any pastor could ever have. I am ISTJ, she is ENFP. Those of you that are laughing are the ones that know on the Myers-Briggs, those are opposites. We complement each other in an amazing way. Uh, that's the best way of saying we can get on each other's nerves in an amazing way. We're very different. You know, I've often thought about it in my brain, if she and I, um, my wonderful wife, who's a hospice nurse, if she and I were on the Titanic as the Titanic was going down, she'd be helping people in the midst of their distress. I'd be over there organizing the lifeboats. But both are necessary. Both are needed. You need the Marthas. You need the Mar Mar Marys. And each one of us need to, need to learn how to nurture the weakest side of ourselves. We can't just say, well, that's who I am. I'm a Martha, so I don't pray. Or I'm a Mary, so I don't ever serve energetically in, in ministries of action. We all have our personality types. We've got to learn each other's personality type and then move beyond to celebrating and valuing each other's personality type because that's the way the body of Christ is to be constructed. We complement each other. You know, I'm so grateful that God gave me a wife. 
such as he gave me. If he, if he had led me to marry another ISTJ, my kids would have been raised in a military barracks. But God led me to fall in love with an ENFP. We've got to know who we are. We've got to be willing to nurture our weaker points. If you're Martha, work on your Mary side. If you're Mary, work on your Martha side. And you know, all of us with our personality types, we think our personality type is the best. Well, that's not. We need each other. We need all the personality types. We all think our personality type is the best, whether you're a Martha or a Mary. We think our personality type is the best. And we all have personality types that really irritate us. And you, and you, you know what type of personality really irritates me? I will never tell you. <laughs> and I hope you can never sense from me particularly if you're in that category. I hope you'll never sense from me. We've got to learn to value each other. We've got to learn to nurture those sides of our lives, those sides of our personalities that are perhaps weaker than our dominant side. If you're a Martha, learn to be a Mary. If you're a Mary, learn to be a Martha. The body of Christ, the world, everybody in your life needs you to be a combination of both. And Simply all that I'm saying is we've got to be all that we can be for Jesus Christ. We Methodists call this the process of sanctification. God's gracious work of changing us in our lives, taking us closer and closer and closer to perfection. If you want to be all that you can for the sake of Christ, it, it has to start by giving your lives to Jesus Christ. Let him rule and reign in your life as opposed to you, yourself. We've got to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Then we have to be committed to spiritual growth. We've got to be committed to being pushed out of our comfort zones so that we can nurture those sides of our personality that we prefer and by nature would keep weak. And then we've got to get up every morning. And every morning recommit to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, formed more by Jesus Christ than formed by the world, with a stronger friendship to Jesus Christ than is our friendship with the world. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that um, we will yield ourselves to you in such a way that we won't be afraid of the ways that you will grow us and change us, make us and mold us, prune us in our lives so that we can be all that we want to be for Jesus Christ and for the people in our lives. God, may your spirit continually strive with our spirit so that we can continue to grow up and become more like him. We invite you into our lives. We invite you to rule and reign supreme in our lives. Amen.